This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Monday, November 16th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. I'm joined by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. And as we do every single week on every single Monday, we have an episode recapping the prior Saturday of action. So, Chris, week 11, it wasn't it wasn't the best slate. We knew that going in with 15 cancellations because of COVID. But I had a lot of fun watching it. And in reading your overtime piece, College Football Overtime on 24-7 Sports, I think you did a good job with the main takeaway. And that was, yeah, Kyle Trask in Florida beat Arkansas. But in his six-touchdown performance, 356 yards, he might be 2019's version of Joe Burrow. And more broadly, he's part of what's been a really fun year for quarterbacks. Yeah, the quarterback lineup this year is just killer. I think we all knew Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were going to ball out. But having Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and Kyle Trask kind of step into this limelight has been pretty pretty fun to follow and honestly it's kind of amazing if you look at their stats all three of those passers in addition to the two kind of like number one and number two overall locks in the nfl draft those three are playing at a really historic level all three of them if you take individual stats from them are either number one all time or pacing to be in the top 10 um for example Mac Jones uh, is completing 12.4 yards per pass. That's the number one all-time of the season of the day. His completion percentage, 78.5. Would be a record, but Justin Fields is completing 86.7% of his passes. Kyle Trask has 28 touchdowns through six games. That's three more than Joe Burrow did a season ago when he set the NCAA record with 60 touchdown passes. And Kyle Trask did that against all SEC competition. I believe Joe Burrow, when he did that last year, had Georgia Southern, Northwestern State, and Utah State kind of in his slate. And Zach Wilson is just kind of quietly balling out in Provo with not many people paying attention to him. So when you kind of take those three together, plus T-Law and Justin Fields, this is as good of a race we've had for the Heisman Trophy in a long time. And it's also, it's really just like special. It's a special, special quarterback here, and we don't often see play at this level. Who would you pick for Heisman B? Man, uh, I would lean Mac Jones right now, um, especially without Jalen Waddle. Alabama is the best team in the country, in my opinion. And if Mac Jones keeps up his level of play the rest of the year, keeps that completion percentage where it is, keeps that yards per attempt number close to where it is, like I would lean him slightly over Kyle Trask, though both have an argument. So yeah, that could be pretty compelling, and they're going to get to play each other maybe for the Heisman in the SEC title game when Alabama and Florida meet. Doesn't it seem like Florida is each week getting a little bit better and making a little bit more of a case that it really could actually knock off Alabama? Yeah, I I think so. Um, I think what you need to do in this era to keep up with Alabama, and this is the opposite of 10 years ago, 
is to have an offense that can score and keep up with Alabama and Georgia does not have that right now. And we saw that difference starkly contrasted when they played. We saw the same thing when Florida played Georgia, although Florida played a much more banged up Georgia than Alabama did. So in that aspect, I do think Florida has the horses to keep up with Alabama offensively, which is the key. Um, I'm not really sure which defense is better at this point. I lean, I lean Alabama. I think Alabama's defense has kind of coalesced a little bit after some early struggles. Arkansas put up a lot of yardage on Florida, and that unit hasn't seemed to kind of gel the same way, despite the fact that I, they have two corners that I thought would be kind of be the cornerstone of that unit in Marco Wilson and Kyer Elam. But um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting debate, and it'll be a lot like 2009 when I believe the Heisman Trophy came down to Tim Tebow versus Mark Ingram in that SEC championship game that Alabama won. It'll be compelling. Yeah, that I forgot about that. I mean, the Heisman should have gone to uh, Indomitian Sue that year. Mark Ingram won it. Uh, I believe runner-up actually that year, Chris, was Toby Gerhart. But Tebow and, and Colt McCoy were also in the mix. I think, um, if I remember too. correctly, it was kind of, it wasn't Tim Tebow fatigue necessarily, but like I think that certainly swayed the Southeastern votes. But you're right. Toby Gerhart was number right. two and Colt was number three. So yeah. Anyway, um, it's it's fun to have a Florida quarterback be this good, and it, it's funny that he was a former backup and a two-star recruit. Although we have certainly talked about that plenty. So th- the coaching angst market is getting pretty heavy right now. <clears throat> South Carolina lost Ole Miss to Ole Miss. They uh, it was a shootout that they just petered out at the end of. Michigan gets curb stomped by Wisconsin, forty-nine to eleven. Even Penn State is 0-4 now after losing on the road to Nebraska. From reading our Michigan message board, uh, Victor's Club on on Inside uh, Inside Michigan at 24-7 Sports, like it, it doesn't seem that Michigan's going to fire Jim Harbaugh. That, if there's a, a separation, would have to come on Jim, Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh's yeah. terms. It, Penn State's certainly not going to fire James Franklin. And if anything, I saw on Saturday someone was linking him to the USC job, and we'll get to the Trojans in a minute. And in South Carolina... There's a little bit of rumbling as we do this podcast on Sunday afternoon, right after the Masters ends, that th- this is this could be it for Will Muschamp. Thirteen million dollar buyout is certainly expensive, especially during a pandemic year. But this could be it, and and that could have been his last game. Who knows? Like that's that's Sunday's always when everything's the most emotional. But it does seem like the end is near for Coach Boom in Columbia. Yeah, um, when you. I think we had a stat last week where Will Muschamp's lost like 13 of his last 17 games in terms of the games he's lost the last three years. And 13 of those have come by 20 points or more. Um, so he's not, he's not losing close. I know we have a lot of South Carolina fans that work at 24 seven sports, a lot of alumnuses, and they're all pretty frustrated with Will Muschamp. I know talking to people around college football, they would not be shocked if that job came open and very quickly. I think Billy Napier is a guy you're going to hear connected to that job very, very quickly if it comes open. And at a certain point, if you're Will Muschamp and you're kind of Forte's defense and you give up 50 or 48 plus points for three straight weeks, like I don't really know what you're hanging your hat on. Um, they gave up 52 to LSU, 48 to AM, 59 to Ole Miss. And at a certain point, those blows just kind of keep adding up. And as you said, Sunday frustrations are at their highest. But um, the thing about college football, that doesn't really apply to any other business model is all it takes is a real few upset, really rich people to have a coaching change at the top. 
And I think at a certain point, Will Muschamp has kind of crossed that threshold. And I, I would be really surprised if he could reel it back. Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, like everyone talks about Lane Kiffin and how much of a, a brilliant offensive mind he is and what he's done at Ole Miss so far and the fact that they scored 59 on South Carolina. But Will Muschamp, I know it's not 08 anymore. And I, I know that, you know, he's, he's got to be a head coach and he's got other duties than to just be a DC. And he's, you know, with time, maybe lost a bit of his fastball. But this is still a defensive mind. And this is still a guy who will be a coveted defensive coordinator in 2021 if he does get fired and he still wants to coach. So I just, I just don't understand how, how on that side of the ball, you're so bad. And I, I think you can draw the same parallel, honestly, between that and how has Will Muschamp not fixed that defense or how has that defense regressed under his watch to Michigan, where we went from saying Jim Harbaugh years ago as a quarterback writ whisperer, uh, the fact that he turned Jake Rudock into an NFL draft pick was just remarkable. And now, I mean, they don't, they don't even have an answer. And the guy, Joe Milton, who we thought a few weeks ago could, could be the dude, he isn't. He threw two picks against Wisconsin. They're trying to work in Cade McNamara, who was just not not that highly regarded of, his, of a recruit. If Harbaugh keeps his job or doesn't leave and he wants to coach in 2021, they'll bring in five-star quarterback J.J. McCarthy. But this Michigan offense is atrocious, and I I think it's I think it's a shame that we have to keep watching them on ABC on primetime football. <laughs> and I feel bad for Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler, who can't get a close one. But I'm I'm also just sick of watching this really proud football program be so bad. I understand it's funny at a certain point, and a lot of people don't like Jim Harbaugh. But this is this is a really sorry excuse for what we think Michigan football should be. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't I think I think Michigan fans would have been okay if the season ended five and three. Um, Michigan played some of those losses close. This was gonna be a rebuilding year no matter what. Two of Michigan's best players opted out before the season started. I think they returned the fewest production uh, in the Big Ten in terms of starters and everything else. So, like, this wasn't supposed to be a year Michigan was going to contend with Ohio State. But for Michigan to look this incompetent, I think, is a pretty big indictment on Jim Harbaugh, his staff, um, particularly. I know you were focusing on the offensive side of the ball, but I can't get over how bad Don Brown's defense is. We've talked about this before, kind of Don Brown's stubbornness, and I'm still not seeing the adjustments he needs to make, even against Wisconsin, which – which kind of just blows the mind. And you mentioned JJ McCarthy. I think, I think if this were one year from now, we wouldn't have be having these conversations about kind of Jim Harbaugh QBs. I think with JJ McCarthy, Josh Gaddis will have a quarterback that he can really kind of count on to run the system he wants to run. But offensively, the thing that still concerns me the most about anything with Michigan is they can't run the ball inside and they're still so stubborn to keep doing so. We saw that all the time on Saturday night, at least early as Michigan was trying to establish the run in the game and Joe Milton just kind of threw it away from there. But like, it's just, I don't really know how to put it in words. I think Kirk Herbstreit summed it up pretty well on Saturday night where he was asking essentially, where's the fight? Where's the heart in Michigan? And right now, like there wasn't much of that on Saturday. I don't, it's just, it's a really strange situation because I still think Jim Harbaugh is an excellent football coach, but it's just, it's just not working right now. Yeah, I mean, he at least used to be. So uh, maybe maybe a change will happen on the defensive side of the ball with Don Brown. We'll see. It's I think for so many teams who are losing right now, I'm talking Florida State, I'm talking Penn State, I'm talking Michigan, South Carolina, so many others. It's just they're just ready to get this season over with. They're just it's 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 not fun anymore. Oh, 100%. They wanted football a month ago or two months ago or you know 
and who who isn't happy to have football but i did you did you see what mike norvell did on saturday he essentially turned it into a glorified spring practice kind of scrimmage because he played mostly true freshmen he just threw his young guys in there um looking towards the future and i wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot more of that from a lot of these staffs they're just going to turn the page on this year get their young guys in there and get the reps and hope 2021 goes better yeah florida state didn't look very good against nc state i think i i don't think it's the worst idea to turn it over to the young guys because no because look the 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 upperclassmen and the nfl talents they're they're opting out they're leaving you saw it some last week especially down in tallahassee you're going to see it again this week like for Penn State, I wonder they've got some NFL draft, NFL talent on their roster who hasn't opted out yet. I, are people just going to hit a point of no return, essentially? So turn it over to the young guys because they will want to play. They will think it's worth going through the protocols and the practices to do so. Whereas the the seniors who have NFL paychecks in their future, and you're on an 0 and 4 team or 1 and 3 or whatever, like you're you're not going to do it. So it's um, the the seasons. The season's over for so many teams, and with with college games getting canceled left and right, and with everything being so grim right now, like I don't think anyone's really even excited about the idea of bowl season the way we would be in a normal year. It's not going to SeaWorld and hanging out with Shamu and you know spending a week, uh, you know hanging out, you know in San Diego. Like you don't get to do that this year. You just go to the bowl game and go to the hotel and then go to the practice fields and then go play. So there's. Uh, I don't. I don't really blame any players who have a fun future to look forward to, who just want to stop having to deal with the 2020 college football season. Uh, Chris, I feel like we're we're winding down. I want to point out a few results, and then I'm going to toss it out to 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 talk West Coast shenanigans here. So Notre Dame, really impressive win. I thought 45 to 31 over Boston College. Ian Book, nearly 300 yards passing, nearly 100 yards rushing, four total touchdowns. He's turned into an elite quarterback right before our eyes. Miami beats Virginia Tech 25 to 24. De'Eric King, they, they were underdogs. Um, that was an interesting, interesting line. Virginia Tech, we talked about coaches who, oh, I mean, Justin Fuente at four and four, the fan base is just ready to be done with them. They're not recruiting well, just like South Carolina is not recruiting well. And uh, I think his his end is near. And then let's spotlight a positivity, uh, a positive moment, I should say, Chris. Northwestern 27 to beat Purdue at 27-20. Northwestern's 4-0. So the Big Ten West, it's coming down to Northwestern versus Wisconsin. And I'm not sure if Wisconsin, they can't miss any more games to be eligible to, to make the Big, 12, or the Big Ten title game, right? No, they, they have to play the rest of the way. If they miss another game, they're out. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the Big Ten West has been nuts. We thought Minnesota would be better. They're not. We, you know, Purdue, I think, is a little disappointing that they lost that that game on Saturday. But you've got Ohio State in the Big Ten East, plays Indiana next weekend. And I think Northwestern, I'm not sure if Northwestern or Wisconsin can beat Ohio State. I think both of them would slow the game down enough to kind of frustrate the Buckeyes. But see, I, I don't, I'm I, not there yet. I don't, I don't even know about that. I think Ohio State's so explosive on the outside; they're going to break through at some point, and it'll be on those teams to be able to keep up. I don't think Northwestern is equipped to do that at all. Um, just, it's not in Pat Fitzgerald's DNA. I don't think Peyton Ramsey and those receivers are capable of doing so. Wisconsin, Graham Mertz, I think, gives them a better shot than they've had in years past, but. I'd be surprised if either one of them can keep up with Ohio State on the scoreboard. I, I don't mean to take us on too much of a tangent, but I think we see that when elite teams play each other. 
all the time. These games have turned, uh, they used to be like 21, 17. Now they're 42, 38 because yeah, skill players, skill players, uh, receiver and quarterback beat out the best skill players on the outside defensively. And all, all these games, as you said, turn into track meets. So I just don't think either one of those teams in the big 10 are equipped to keep up with Ohio state in that regard. Yeah. Skill talent is just the re- recruiting at the receiver position is kind of the most important thing in college football right now, outside of an elite quarterback. So I want to talk about the PAC 12. I stayed up really late watching Oregon state get jobbed at a road lot in a road loss to Washington. That's why I'm probably feeling a little, a little tired on Sunday morning. Um, you're not really feeling too good about USC, are you? They're 2-0, and but both of those wins have been from the come-from-behind variety. And with the talent on that side, or given the talent in that program, like the Trojans should not be messing around with Arizona. No, I mean, Arizona was picked to be the worst team in the Pac-12 South, and USC needed another game-winning drive to kind of escape uh, with a win there. Um, so yeah, I, I have major concerns about USC. I have concerns about the air raid offense, which isn't clicking like it normally is. I think part of it's a rhythm issue, but a lot of it's that USC's interior offensive line. We talked about it earlier with Michigan is not very good. USC can't run the ball inside defensively. They hired Todd Orlando to kind of simplify the scheme, um, and make things a little easier on the defenders. But what we're seeing right now is a lot of bad angles, a lot of missed tackles, if you're a Texas fan, you're very familiar with Todd Orlando and bad angles and missed tackles. Um, that's concerning early on. And then, like, there's there's still the Clay Helton factor. I didn't really get into this on overtime as much as I could have, but there was a sequence um, in the red zone on Saturday against Arizona, I believe in a tie game, where on third and five, USC had a false start. Or not a fa- they had a false start, and then they had a delay of game, back-to-back plays to kind of take them out of position to score a touchdown in the red zone. And then they also just had several mental errors that make you just shake your head. USC's often been one of the most penalized teams in the country. They had 11 penalties against Arizona on Saturday. And that's all on Clay Heldon. That's what a head coach is supposed to address. And I just still think that there's a certain ceiling that comes with a Clay Heldon coach team. And we're seeing that the first two weeks. And I, I just don't think USC is good enough to make the college football playoff and maybe not even run the table given the way we've kind of seen early on, despite that schedule. I don't love what I'm seeing from Oregon either. I thought it was nice that they came back in a, on on the road against Washington state. They scored 22 points in the fourth quarter, new offensive line with five starters. They were able to run the ball to salt away the win. Tyler Shuck looks pretty, pretty okay at quarterback, but they were sloppy and maybe that's just, it's the second game of the year. Um, But uh, they were sloppy. They had several turnovers before halftime. Washington State moved the ball pretty well. They threw for over 300 yards on an Oregon defense that returned almost everybody. I just don't know through the first two weeks as you talk about USC with Oregon as well. Like I don't, I don't, I don't see a, a playoff contender in that conference. Yeah, it's it's really tough to kind of think of a playoff contender from that conference right now. Um, I think I'm probably a little more encouraged by Oregon than you are. I really think that Joe Moorhead offense is clicking despite the first half struggles. I do have questions about the defense, defense, but I think Oregon's good enough offensively to really put up points no matter whatever week it is. But with a maximum seven game resume for these Pac-12 schools, like I, I just after what we've seen so far, I don't know how you could make the argument. For a seven or seven and Oregon over even like a nine and two Florida, we just have so much of a larger sample size 
for teams outside of that conference. And we have teams playing kind of at a much higher level than what we see in the Pac-12 right now. So from that perspective, yeah, I think the Pac-12's playoff chances are really in trouble. And I think it's, we talk about the lack of games hurting the resume, and that's absolutely the most important thing. But from the perception and the eye test thing, if that matters to anyone out there, at the same time that we're watching teams in the the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 peak, at the same time as we're watching teams in the Big 10 really get their footing, we're also flipping on our channels late at night and seeing teams in the Pac-12 just like do the whole, we are not, we don't know what we're doing the first four weeks of the season that we already got from those conferences, right? So we're watching mostly, yeah, mostly fully formed football teams against startup programs, essentially. And it's just not, and especially with the restrictions out West, as far as practices and all those things, it's, it's not pretty. It's, it's not pretty. They have a lot of things not in their favor. And, uh, I don't know. I was glad to have PAC 12 after dark back, but I don't, I don't think it's a year for them to be in the playoff. I think you, you made a, you made, you know, all those points earlier as well. It's week 12 should be a lot better than week 11. Uh, Chris, it's, you know, we get bedlam. Um, we got Ohio state versus Indiana. So I, maybe we'll get Penn <laughs> state's first win against Iowa. Who would have circled Ohio state versus Indiana as the top 10 matchup at the beginning of the year. That's just, it's nuts, but it's very yeah. 2020. So 2020. All right. Well, we've spent long enough talking about a not so great slate of college football, but I appreciate you joining us. I appreciate Tani Levitt, our producer putting this show together. You do a great job, Tani. We, we are very thankful for your work on this show. My name is Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.